How's it going tonight, everybody? We are Run The Real, featuring Mike, Terry, Fox, and Dan. And we are back with a new series. A big series. What is it? Something from a galaxy far, far, possibly away. We are on our Star Wars series. We are jumping into uh, this series, and we're going through all the movies. Live action. A very special run. Yeah. And we watched Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Yep. We're starting in, like, timeline order with these movies. You know, I feel like given the scope of this, uh, this, this, this little series here, we ought to at least provide some background or some reasoning or something. This is a pretty uh, ambitious endeavor. Everyone could go through and give their quick Star Wars story. Oh, no. <laughs> Mike, a Star Wars story. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean I'm first? Is this like the random picker? What are you talking about? It's our random Star Wars story generator. Let me put the names in real quick. <laughs> oh, Mike, you came up. As the random picker once more. Wow, that was quick. If we're giving Star Wars stories, I mean, I've loved Star Wars since I was a kid. It was a huge part of, like, my fandom, you know, growing up. I had all the toys, all the games, all that stuff. I'm not so pleased with the recent Star Wars developments, but we're going to get into that in, like, seven, eight weeks, so... Um, but like I've loved Star Wars since I was a kid. I read all the books. I have t-shirts. I have figures. You know, classic nerd star wars growing up yeah like mike you know huge star wars fan since i was knee high literally but also like mike i've been a little uh less than impressed with some of the more recent media so i gotta say i'm a little i'm a little nervous about this um this series you know it's um might be painful in some cases to revisit but it's also exciting (laughs) (laughs) so i'm I'm curious how this is all going to come out in the end and i I know that i'm going to have some rants pretty soon here coming up about some canon issues (laughs) because you know me i just refuse to acknowledge what is uh the new canon (laughs) Uh, yeah i guess i'm more of a casual star wars fan i didn't really like get into it hardcore ever i think that when i really started liking star wars was when i was playing like the force unleashed game i thought that game was pretty awesome it kind of opened up my interest in star wars and i guess i'm not as hard on the newer ones i actually really like one of them episode seven but we'll get into that later i guess i'm i'm not as passionate about it i would suspect as our other hosts here i too grew up on star wars this is my favorite movie series growing up watched all the movies like a whole lot (laughs) read all the books played all the games this is great i can't get enough of star wars it's one of my favorites of all time so i'm really looking forward to going through each and every one of these and getting to talk about them in depth i too am not a fan of most of the disney star wars stuff but like we said, <laughs> we'll get into that later. So we're we're starting out in chronological order. So episode one, The Phantom Menace, it was released in 1999. It has a 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 54% tomato meter and a 59% audience score. There, there's a big, you know, connotation around this movie, I think, and, uh, and Jar Jar specifically, but I guess we'll talk about that. I'm not even going to give a synopsis for this one. I mean, I'm sure everybody who listened to us has seen this movie. 
or if you haven't, you at least know what it is. It's been out 20 years. Oh my God, we're so old. Yep, that makes all of us feel old here. Let's just jump into it. Star Wars Episode One. What do you guys think of it? You know, revisiting it. I think it's going to be a tricky one to review because I think like this has been, yeah, like bashed upon, revisited like so many times. I've seen so many YouTube videos. So I was kind of curious to like revisit it myself because I was worried maybe like my opinions had been skewed by all the media I had watched or if it really was as bad as everybody said. And I think I kind of fell somewhere in the middle between the two. I agree with you, TV. Spoiler alert everybody it's not as bad as what everyone makes it out to be i don't know i don't know why people hate on this one so much i'm guessing probably because it was the first of the new trilogy and it wasn't what a lot of people were expecting or necessarily wanted kind of like how me fox and mike are treating the new disney star wars but that's my guess on the why this one got a lot of hate when it came out. It's probably the same case, you know, they had so much time to kind of build up to it. They had their own theories and stuff, and then what they got was less than ideal, I would think. I mean, I don't know about you guys. So, like, this came out when I was, like, six years old, right? So I probably watched this movie, maybe, possibly, like, not even, like, overestimating a hundred times between the ages of six and twelve, okay? But I have not seen it in 13 years. Oh, wow. That's a while. So I've had 13 years of like reading reviews and seeing people bash on it to uh, formulate this memory of it. I'm kind of with you guys. You know, it wasn't nearly as like horrible as I uh, yeah, <laughs> have kind of been led to believe over the years. <laughs> yeah, I never got all of the criticism that this movie gets. I mean, yeah, sure. Tons of people hate Jar Jar getting out with the... The easy scapegoat. And I'm probably very biased since I grew up on these films and I was the right age for Jar Jar when I first watched it. So I never had a big problem with them. It's weird. All I can say is it's not as bad as what you think or what you remember, at least in my opinion. Uh, Now, I am going to go as far as to say I don't think it's that good either. I don't want it to get (laughs) misconstrued. How dare you? I will gouge (laughs) your eyes out. Get over here. Come here. (laughs) Yeah, if it isn't obvious, we have a lot of nostalgia for this movie because we grew up with it. It is kind of weird, you know, revisiting it later after how I feel about Star Wars now as a franchise. I can definitely see Star Wars is one of those series that the fandom just tears things apart and they unite and they just destroy things they do not like. I mean, you can look at Jar Jar. So many people gave that dude who played Jar Jar so much crap that the dude almost killed himself. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. Yeah, and with the new movies, I mean... Everybody's gone hog wild on hating stuff too. Star Wars fandom is just, you know, they tear things apart. They're very passionate about Star Wars and they've been dealt a bad hand multiple times throughout its long lifespan. It's it's interesting. It's a big build up over time and it's kind of hit the boiling point now i'd say it wasn't so much about these new movies for me as it was how disney itself handled the entire universe and franchise let's get into that when we get there (laughs) i don't know i think we're already there by definition you know i'll say it once and i won't say it again until we get up to the new movies 
But it just really, really pissed me off that they like annihilated the old canon and were like, it's not canon anymore. Just the movies and our two lame shows are canon. I'm more okay with that. I think it's fine. There's so much backlog in there. Like, I get it. They don't want to be constrained by something. I think that's a fair decision. I mean, it kind of sucks. You know, they take inspiration from some stuff, and they can take what they want, leave the rest. I think it makes it better for, like, a creative process to, like... Because they've written books about literally everything. There's not a whole lot of room to keep going. I don't know. That doesn't bog down other series that have, like, decades of material. I mean, to relate it back to episode one, look at Darth Maul. He's almost a no-name villain in this film. Three lines of dialogue. <laughs> yeah, he has three lines of dialogue, and we see him like three, maybe four times in the whole film. But he has two books written about him, and then he was so popular that they brought him back in both the Clone Wars animated television show and Rebels animated television show. That's not all, but... Yeah, yeah, and it's it's crazy. And then, um, it, but it's really cool at the same time. And kind of to tie it back to your point from earlier, Fox, about how they handle the universe and the difference kind of between the new Disney films and then this prequel trilogy is like George Lucas, when he's started the prequel trilogy he wanted to show people different things that they hadn't seen before right he keeps it all within universe and that was really interesting to me because it's like we had a good basis with the original three films right and so the prequel trilogy comes along especially this first one and he gets to build more upon the universe and we get to see how things are handled um, within the Star Wars universe, like with the government and how uh, regular people live their lives and things like that. And we get to explore a lot of interesting topics that just build upon the lore and the world and makes it more rich. Okay, I'm going to stop you there because I don't know about interesting topics, for at least for episode one. Really? I am so confused about what is going on, and I really do not care about the Trade Federation, the taxation. Why are they blockading Naboo? Why are they invading Naboo? What does Naboo have that's so important? This movie doesn't tell you anything about why this is. The Trade Federation is like this evil oligarchy. It's like a nation of like corporations, and they want to take over Naboo for its resources. I don't think they ever said that in this movie. <laughs> I will I will concede and agree with you, Terry. They don't do a good job in this film specifying why the Trade Federation wants to go after Naboo. Well, that's why the extended canon was important. <laughs> a, a film needs to stand on its own. You can't read a book to get all the answers. You should be able to watch a movie and understand what's going on. Well, part of the reason this got made the way it was was the extended canon already had so much good content that fans love so much, and Lucas was like, hmm, probably ought to stick with that because it's so good already. I mean, I don't. it was cool for me coming back into this because a six-year-old Chris did not understand understand like political intrigue or corporate espionage which is like the first 30 minutes of this movie like everything made so much more sense this time around than young chris understood even yeah terry i get where you're coming from a lot of criticism with this film is all the political stuff that goes on and i do agree that they don't do a great job setting it up like we don't know why trade federations at nabu you just got to take it at face value for me, it was interesting because you get to see 
Darth Sidious, who's going under the moniker of Palpatine, maneuver and set up events so that way he can become the Supreme Chancellor. And it's interesting seeing how the Senate works, I think, anyways. I thought it was neat seeing that Senate chamber and how just how many people are there and how they run their (laughs) try to run a government out of all those planets. You can see that it doesn't work very well, which is a big theme of the movie and is a big theme of the prequel trilogy, actually, which we'll get into as we get to later films. But I always thought that was interesting. And you get good action to kind of counterbalance all that stuff, too. So you get something new that deepens the lore and builds upon the world. But you get the awesome CGI, well, not as much practical effects in the prequel stuff. No, very little. I would go arguing to say, yeah, not much at all. But when they're there, they're good. And the, the action that you come to expect from Star Wars. So for me, it's a nice balance of the two. You say the action that people expect from Star Wars. Back in 99, when they watched this, the lightsaber fights that they had seen were... Not so great, you know, from the old movies. Like episode four, especially, yeah. (laughs) Episode four is really bad. So, like, the action that people expect from Star Wars, they kind of got blown away with these prequel trilogies. I know I was as a little kid, but I would say at its heart, this movie is a kid's movie. It's a movie that makes a kid, you know, like when we were kids, you watch it and it you know, lights you up with creativity and all these new worlds, all these new aliens, it gets you thinking. But he tries to put in these politics stuff to keep older people interested, which, I mean, is interesting to a point, but there's not really, you said there was like a theme there of it? Uh, Of stuff not working. That's not a good theme in this movie, though. Like, you take a master movie of themes, like, you know, a a Kubrick movie or a Denis Villeneuve that has layers of themes, and you put episode one against it, and you say, look at the themes in this. There are no themes in this movie. This (laughs) is like child's play for themes. It's a kid's movie at heart, you know, and that's what it appeals to, and that's what it excels at is, you know, a kid watching this movie. I think, yeah, I think he had a hard time striking a balance because the original Star Wars could, you know, kids love that too, but it's not bogged down by all these like talking scenes and stuff and politics and trade routes. I think he's he's having a hard time striking a balance between, yeah, like aiming for adults and kids. Yeah, you look at like a Pixar movie and they do a really good job of getting both in there. Star Wars Episode One, not nearly as good as a Pixar movie, even though I love it because I'm a huge sci-fi nut, huge Star Wars guy. If I compare them objectively, you know, you take a movie like Toy Story, which is a kid's movie, but does a great job of putting things in there for adults, too. And you throw that against Star Wars. If you're not a Star Wars or a sci-fi fan, you're not going to enjoy that crap at all. You're going to hate Jar Jar. You're going to hate the politics because they don't like motivate you unless you're an EU fan. So I can definitely see it, you know? I mean, I think adults in 1999 might have found at least some real-world parallels for, like, the Trade Federation invasion of Naboo. Cause, I mean, this is, what, eight years after the Gulf War, which is... A kind of similar situation, and conspiracy theorists would argue that, you know, a country 
like America and the CIA would have acted like Palpatine and kind of made this war happen as a political movement for somewhere totally unrelated to this small little country. Maybe Lucas was gone for that. I don't know. Since this is a trilogy of prequel films, it's kind of, I think, unfair to a degree, not completely unfair, but I think to a degree, there's unfair criticism of talking about the political intrigue and how it doesn't make sense when later on in the trilogy it does get revealed partly why all this is happening like it gets revealed that palpatine is using the trade federation telling them to do stuff so that way he can get into the um, role of supreme chancellor and he can manipulate the government this is like just the first part of the rest of the story that's coming later too. So But that should stand on its own as well, I think. It's like a cliffhanger for the other two movies. And then it comes full circle in episode three when Anakin's sent to go kill the leaders of the Confederacy, which is the Trade Federation as well at that point. It comes full circle and you fully see the grand scheme that Palpatine or Sidious had to orchestrate and pull off to actually get to where he's at by the end of episode three which i always thought was cool well the thing is like this is a kid's movie did you pick that up as a kid or did you just pick up the wonderment the excitement the energy that this puts off i had no idea about political intrigue as a kid yeah when i was a kid i didn't I didn't know, but it had enough other stuff in there to keep me interested. And then as I got older, I could see the um, political intrigue stuff for what it was and be like, oh, that's actually kind of cool how Sidious was able to manipulate everybody into the position of power he needed to be in to um, take control of the Republic at the end of episode three. I would argue that the politics in the prequel movies are like not good at all because Episode two, which we we're going to get into, I guess, next week is the heaviest on the politics stuff. And that's like the worst one, you know, if we're talking about the original six, it just, you know, the original ones, it was a more personal story about Luke growing and becoming a person. And this one feels like a jumbled, like a bunch of characters who I'm questioning what their motives are and why this is happening. It's a lot of like messy stuff. Compare this to something more recent, Terry. Um, Let's look at the John Wick movies. The first John Wick, you could compare to the first Star Wars, where it's um, it focused on just the character and everything that happens in the world. You just got to take it face value. And then you have the two sequels that expand upon the rest of the story and how the world works. And to me, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, when John Wick's at the Continental and he's... um, talking to people there it's not the essence of john wick because he's not shooting people up and stuff so it's kind of you can say the same thing about star wars too yeah it's not the essence of star wars when we're seeing the the dark lord of the sith manipulating the entire galaxy in the senate but i mean it's it's there as background to build upon the world so that way you know how things work. The problem is it's not background, though. It is, like, in your face. I love so many scenes of them talking about this stuff. Only at the later part. I would say, so when I think of Star Wars, I think of the creativity, the originality, and that kind of stuff. When I want a sci-fi, you know, politics drama, I'm going to go to the original Star Trek stuff. 
Like that's more philosophy, more politics, more drama and that kind of stuff. Not to say that I don't dislike it a lot in this movie. I'm just saying it's definitely not a strong point of this movie. The politics is not great in this movie. What I think is great about this movie is the wonderment it puts out, you know, the creativity that's put into it. Like, love them or hate them, the Jar Jar and Gungan race, you know, is, is, it's creative, you know. Who would have thought of that besides George Lucas, you know? The pod racing, who would have thought of that besides George Lucas? Like, that is what is strong about episode one. It shows us stuff we haven't seen before, which is cool. The politics is not great when you compare it to other sci-fi, you know, stuff that does politics stuff. But it's serviceable in this one. I, I guess it just goes down to, you know, personal preference. That's not what I think about when I think of this movie. I don't give a crap about the politics. If I wanted that, I would go watch something else or I'd read the book about the politics. I watch it for the fun value of this movie and how creative it is. And, you know, when I was a kid, it, you know, sparked so much curiosity in me. Yeah, I, mean, I think we're encountering, you know, what the ultimate dilemma of any major blockbuster built on a previous franchise encounters, which is, you know, do you stick to the greater world for a niche market of fans or do you produce a film that appeals to the general mass? I think they kind of struck both, but in weird ways. Well, they tried to. Yeah, I think it ultimately wound up pleasing nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to some extent. I'm going to quote Red Letter Media. It's a YouTube channel. They review movies. They said something that I think really hits the nail on this one is George Lucas went nuts on this movie and nobody stopped him. He did his thing and nobody was there to rein him in. He had full creative control over everything. In some ways that's good and in some ways that's bad. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Because the original three you had, they weren't directed by him. He had a team of people there telling him, no, we can't do this. or giving him better ways to do what he wanted to do. It's a collaborative effort. Yeah, there's great directors, but they all have people telling them no a lot of the time. I would say, you know, episode one set a precedence for sci-fi movies coming after it because you look at how many sci-fi movies have become, you know, just kind of a fun sci-fi romp, you know, compared to what it was before. The original ones were fun movies, but like the big sci-fi stuff was like Star Trek as well. You know, that was the big counter to it. That was all philosophical stuff. But you look at Star Trek now and it's all action stuff. So episode one set a precedence for action sci-fi coming after it because there's so many movies that are just like episode one. That in The Matrix, which also came out this year. Yeah, but <laughs> The Matrix was, I would say, a little bit different because it's, it's sci-fi, but it's not like space opera. You touched on something earlier, Fox, I wanted to go back on. You said that Lucas didn't want to do the prequels because he felt there wasn't enough um, material for it. And I think this movie is the testament to that because it's mostly background info, like how the politics work, how different planets have different like rules of government, like there's slavery on Tatooine, whereas Naboo is ruled by a queen and then the Gungans are ruled by a king. So this one is mostly all just background stuff for how the world works. There's not really much to do with it when it comes in regards to the Skywalker saga, as it's being called nowadays, right? 
we meet little Anakin in this film, um, we see his origin and we learn, oh, he's super strong with the Force. Well, we already knew that. So I think that's why this one doesn't fit as well with a lot of people, because they're expecting they're expecting the prequel to the original trilogy, but they don't really get it with this film. This film's just a lot of background information, which some people find some things interesting and some people not find those interesting. But I think that's one of the bigger problems with this film too, is it doesn't really build upon the the Skywalker story. It's just a bunch of filler. It's a filler is what it is. Yeah. It feels like fluff. Yeah. Like he's just trying to have scenes to build time to make it two hours or whatever. You know, as much as I love it, that is a great point. <laughs> it's cool filler because for me anyways, because I get to see how one of my favorite sci-fi franchises, how everything gets done in there. But yeah, it's just it's really it's just filler because it doesn't even feel like there's really a main central character in this movie, at least to me. Who's the main go-to guy? I guess Qui-Gon Jinn. But it shouldn't be Qui-Gon Jinn, right? Yeah. I mean, it can be, but he doesn't go through any changes in this movie. He doesn't have an arc, and like neither does like almost anybody else, it feels like to me. Obi-Wan's the only one who goes through a character arc in this film. Kind of. He doesn't even really do anything in this movie until the end. Well, he goes from the, um, the naysayer to the accepting of the like prophecy and all that stuff. Yeah, I guess that's true. I think it also kind of sets a precedence for Obi-Wan's character in the coming movies. It's all set up for things that come later. And then when you get to those later movies, you have the background information, which is good to have so you're not confused. And then it builds upon certain things. It's just with this one, it's as far as the story goes, yeah, there's not many character moments that transfer down the line per se. I guess my question is why start here if you don't have like, a good entry point. Why not start with Anakin already like a teenager or something, you know, training? It seems weird to start him out like this. It's interesting you bring that up because there, I don't remember what it's called, but there's a viewing order um, that some guy made for the first six films where you start with episode four and you go to episode five and then it flashes back to episode two then episode three, and then you watch six. And then that's the viewing order. There is no episode one in there because it doesn't fit with the overall story. It's just it's just a bunch of other stuff. It's like Chlorians looking at you. <laughs> yeah, it, it leaves out that for the most part. There's only one more mention of it later in the entire um, prequel trilogy. So Lucas got the hint that no one liked that, which I will concede the Metachlorian subplot was very stupid. It's like science trying to explain religion, which never works because that's not how either of those things work. They leave this one out because it doesn't really relate to the rest of them. Because all you need to know is in the other two. Yeah, it'll be the story for like Obi-Wan and Anakin will be a little bit richer. If you watch this one, but it's more kind of like a side thing. Which, to be fair, I mean, the Clone Wars scenario 
would be a little confusing if you didn't have the backstory of Palpatine setting up the war with the Trade Federation. Maybe. I mean, they talked about the Clone Wars in Episode 4, though, so we should already kind of know what that is. But everyone's like, what the hell is a Clone War? Are there clones? Nobody here looks like a clone. You'll find out (laughs) in Episode (laughs) 2. That's fair, TV. You do. It is an episode two. <laughs> I think, yeah. It's just there's not a strong like character focus. It's very broad and kind of just all over the place. Like I know I'm going to go ahead and say it. I don't like Jar Jar Binks. He's, he's there almost in every single scene, it feels like. He's constantly being... <laughs> he owes him a life debt. Just like a Wookiee. I noticed that this time when I was watching it. Is a life debt a thing in like, all races, or is it just... Just some. Okay. Did anybody else pick up when they were a kid? I didn't pick it up until this viewing that Boss Nass is just basically a Richard Nixon joke. <laughs> <laughs> like, it never occurred to me before. But he's like, you say Gungan's good. Hmm. We can be at peace. And then he shakes his jowls. <laughs> I'd never thought of that before, but that's pretty funny. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, and like a lot of the characters, I can't, I'm not really attached to any of them. This movie doesn't make me really like many. I mean, I like Darth Maul, but he's only in it for like, what five minutes it feels like he says three lines which also surprised me i didn't know he said anything in these movies but he says like three things and you know i think the performances are kind of iffy like that might be part of it nobody really feels very charismatic in these movies or in this movie i should say no i don't know about the next ones i'll have to watch them again but in this one i can't think of anybody who's like this is a standout performance i think obi-wan would have felt more legit if somebody besides Liam Neeson was playing Qui-Gon Jinn. I don't know, because he feels like a very by-the-book, like, man, I really want to follow the code. I've been learning, but you keep pushing me to do these things I'm not supposed to do. See, that would have been a cool story if that was, like, the movie, but I don't really get that a lot in this. I don't, I, I don't know, and that's just, I feel like Neeson doesn't deliver the Qui-Gon feel quite like he's supposed to. He doesn't feel like a rebel. He feels like a very by-the-book guy. He doesn't really feel like a rebel. It just feels like he's doing what Jedi do, but he's not. I feel like he played the wise old man too much and should have played more of like a on-the-edge kind of guy. He's a Jedi master, right? So he acts like a master, but he's doing things from his point of view. He's not going to be like openly strut in there and just have an attitude about him he's calm and collected at all times he's sharing everything he knows with his apprentice and with anakin so i'd i'd say i think it would be against his character if he did walk around and had like the def- the defiant attitude i don't know because he gives into emotion a lot more than a jedi should does he though you know he has some tender moments with smee he like gets anakin you know gambles for his freedom like a jedi should not well it's not he's not super emotional i wouldn't say that the only emotional thing he does is he recruits anakin and forces him to be trained essentially because for if you treat the Jedi as a religion, he's found his Christ essentially is what uh, what this is. He's found the chosen one, and he's hundred percent sure. So that's him acting out on his religion, and that's the most emotion he shows, I think, in this. Yeah, but I don't know if that makes for like a fun character to watch on screen as somebody with no emotion and is kind of bland. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's that's why the Jedi Council's not as fun to watch either, because 
It's all no emotion, no attachments, nothing. Everybody's a studious monk. And it's not just them either. It's like the Naboo royalties, all that like that too. Almost everybody in this movie, except for Jar Jar and uh, Anakin, they're all just stone-faced. And I don't know. I feel like the council has some personality to them. They're not in this one much. Yeah, I guess maybe because we know what they're like later, we as Fill in the blanks, I guess. That's fair. It's all just setting everything up and getting it all out there so that you can play upon it later. In the context of this movie, I guess, yeah, the council probably seemed pretty bland to people besides, you know, six-year-old Chris and seven-year-old Mike and, what, eight, nine-year-old Dan and six seven year old tv (laughs) i think you got all these ages off here (laughs) (laughs) just a bit sorry i was just trying to make you all seem more mature and stone-faced like a a council of um master figures if you will i appreciate it kind of like uh, anakin in this movie i gotta say he i think he acts way too old for his age i don't really like his performance i know jake lloyd gets a lot of crap for it but, uh man, I don't know about this. I feel like maybe if he was acting more childlike, but the way he's like talking, it's very, you know, I'm an adult and I'm much more, you know, and I get it. He's the chosen one. Maybe that's why they're doing it. But uh. I agree with you, Terry, on that. Um, I'd say my only counter to that would be he's a slave. So he's he has to mature quickly because he's born in the slavery, essentially, and he's been a slave his whole life, and he's been treated like crap and has been forced to do things he doesn't want to do. So he's got to mature fast just to survive. But that's at odds with when he's acting like a complete kid. And the further down the line, this isn't what people are expecting from Anakin Skywalker, which I think is a fault with the film that they started with him this young. It would have served better as a flashback and not have him be this really nice, very confident, I can hit on people like three times my age almost. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, like It's the only way they can justify <laughs> a 16-year-old flirting with like, what, a nine-year-old? Ten, I think, yeah. I, would, I think I would have liked it better if either one, they didn't focus on Anakin at all, or two, they just like mentioned him in passing or bumped into him and someone called his name or whatever, and then just leave it. Because then everybody's like, holy crap, was that Anakin? Why is he a slave on Tatooine? Kind of thing. And then later on, they can come back and do all that other stuff. I think it would have worked a lot better because the character of Anakin in this one is not what people are expecting. And I think it's a fault doing it for such a young age with him. We don't need to see him as a young boy. I think Lucas was kind of torn. I mean, you know, he's got to make a character who's young enough to be trained as a Jedi, but old enough to flirt with a queen. Why not just bump him up to teenagers? Like, that, that'd that be fine. Then I'd be totally cool with it. Like Then they definitely wouldn't take him for Jedi training. He'd be too old. He's the chosen one. You know, he was born of the Force. Why not? You know, he's a special case. That's fine. And that could also go to like showing why he went so wrong later is because of, you know, his late start and all that stuff that could, you know, help feed into that a little bit. Or you could have it Qui-Gon bumped into him and sensed how strong he was. And then later on during the pod racing, he's like, this guy can pilot a pod. Normal human being can't do that because they don't have the reflexes capable to do that. So 
as his dying wish, it could be the same thing. He mentions it to Obi-Wan when he gets back on the ship after they get their parts, and then when he gets killed by Maul, his dying wish could be, go get this kid and free him and bring him for training. What? But if he did that, there would be nobody to accidentally destroy the Trade Federation uh, flagship. God. <laughs> oh, I have an idea. Make Obi-Wan do that because he doesn't do anything in this movie. Oh, make him destroy the stuff. Lies! He kills Darth Wow. So it takes me an hour and a half to see Obi-Wan do anything in this movie. Give him something. Come on. Yeah, exactly. That is fair. Give him something. He sits in that ship and he's like, I guess I'll wait for transmissions. And then he'll like talk on his walkie-talkie and then we don't see him for 30 minutes. <laughs> Wise. He tells them to send no transmissions. No transmissions of any kind. Oh, so he just sits there silently. Sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's just too young. If they had made him a little older, I think that would have solved a ton of problems with this. Like, I I don't know. I'm not going to fault his, like, acting ability as more as, like, you know, when he's a child, like, it's up to the director to get the performance out of him. And George Lucas did not get a good performance. Well, like, my girlfriend and I were talking about this. Like, how many young male child actors do you know that are good? The Kid in the Sixth Sense is really good. Yep. And there's Macaulay Culkin. And what else do we have? I don't know. Like any male child actors in any era, there's like one or two in every era, and that's it. Oh, there's a lot of them in this era. With a a movie like this, they have the budget to search for just the right person or... You know, ha- have an acting coach that can actually tell their actors how to act. Maybe I'm not getting this George Lucas too hard, but I've heard a lot of things about his uh, working with actors is not the best. I don't know how much of a budget they had for actors in this. I mean, the budget was a little over 100 mil, and the CGI for this film was pretty cutting edge for the time it came out. Yeah, well, they should have put a little more money into it then, I guess. I would argue that Liam Neeson was their one big buy at that time for actors. Natalie Portman and Kiara Knightley weren't famous yet. Was Kiara Knightley the the double? Yeah. I thought Natalie Portman just played both of them. Nope. They used a voice changer on Knightley. There's really like two name actors in this film, Samuel L. Jackson and Liam Neeson. Everybody else is pretty much unknown at this point. There doesn't have to be a big name. They could have found something. Yeah, do it. The Disney ones are doing. You know, George Lucas didn't want to direct this. He tried to get somebody else to, and nobody else would take it. I don't blame him. Anybody for not wanting to. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. I mean, so it's like, it's not like they didn't try, though. <laughs> like, there were things that prevented them. He's not a he, he's not an actor's director. That's what I'll say. I think he's aware of that. Then they should hire, like, a coach or something. I don't know. There's obviously a problem, and he could probably have fixed it with his $100 million. They just let him go. It's not that anybody's super bad as an actor in this film. I mean, you could argue that little Anakin isn't very good. And I would say Padme isn't very good either. Or uh, the Queen, whatever her name is, Amidala. Well, which time? It, sometimes it's Kiera Knightley, sometimes it's Natalie Portman. Well, whenever the ladies were in the headdress, it's terrible. Well, they, they don't. there's literally like whole conspiracy theories trying to figure out when it's Knightley and when it's Portman. Nobody knows for sure. I wouldn't say it's bad. I've seen tons of bad acting. I mean, we did our whole like... B-movie things like Troll 2, Leprechaun, Wishmaster, all those. That's bad acting. Is it good acting? No, it's not good acting. Is it just like middle-of-the-road average? Yes, it's middle-of-the-road average, I'd say. You know, I think my girlfriend hit it pretty well for me, which was 
she was, we were watching this and she was like, you know, this is like community theater acting. <laughs> so people who know how to do it, there's just a reason that they're, you know, in the C league and not the A league. <laughs> oh. Oh. Ouch. It's about the passion and the fun and the hobby, not the career. <laughs> I, I've seen so many bad movies that for me, this is better than any of that. So it gets middle of the road in my book. Well, none of them like, there's no charisma in this movie to me. There isn't. That's true. It's all with Jar Jar, and people oh, don't no. like him. <laughs> <laughs> but what about Captain Panica? Who? Who is that? Amidala's chief security officer. <laughs> he rallies the defense force. That guy. How could I forget? With his charisma. <laughs> And I would blame that on the acting. There's nobody that's pulling my attention to any one character. And it might be some of the writing and stuff, too. But Yeah, everybody's wooden and stoic and stoned-faced. That's a fair argument. Nobody stands out. Nobody's particularly amazing. Nobody's winning an award for this movie. I don't think it's necessarily the actor's fault, though. I think that fault lies with the director for not telling them what they need to do. Which, I mean, he got the criticism for in this one and improved upon in the later films. Okay, so like, I gotta say, I've always been cool with the look of this movie. Like, as a kid, was chill with it. But I have seen so much hate for the CGI in this movie. Why? I don't know. That's what I don't get, is why everybody hates it. Like, I remember... There's a group that makes parody songs on YouTube, and they made a parody song of somebody I used to know, but like it was about George Lucas, and now he ruined Star Wars with the prequel trilogy. And one of the lines is, because you overused graphics. But this was 1990-freaking-nine, and this movie had this grade of CGI? Like, this was, like, groundbreaking. The problem with it, though, is that almost all of it is, like, visual effects. It does feel a little dated because, you know, it was back in 1999. I will say I agree with with both of you. This was very groundbreaking at the time because this the CGI is so good and most of mostly all of it holds up and looks like a modern film today. The only things that are lacking are the Gungans are you you can start to tell that their their CGI is not working as good nowadays and then some of the environments don't look as great as others but the rest of it it still looks like it came out today and that's a testament just to how good the CGI is in this film well we're watching remasters i don't know like so we watched we reviewed 1408 right and the cgi ghosts in that movie were awful but we went well you know it was 2007 what was cgi even like back then yeah this was 1999 but the difference between that is that i think you know the ghost shows up every once in a while but it's not the whole movie like it is impressive don't get me wrong i think it's cool that they went for this but you got to have some like stuff in there that's real too like most of this movie is just cgi and that's why it stands out so much i think i don't i mean they like literally wrote the programs for like visual effects with this movie like some movie had to be that movie that was the catalyst sure and i feel like they should be like applauded not bashed on for being that movie yeah it was good for the time i'll give you that i think it is cool but i do think yeah if they would have had a better balance of cgi and real life sets and stuff i think it would have made it a lot better visually and some of those sets would have been so cool like naboo 
If it wasn't all CGI, man, that would be an awesome set. If they could have filmed Naboo in Italy instead of making it a CGI set, that would have been pretty sweet. Because, I mean, there there's some points where it's like, I can tell they're on a green screen, and it's like, uh, okay. I mean, Jar Jar was one of the first CGI, fully CGI characters. Yeah, they were writing the code. I've got one more thing that we must do since it's star wars so we gotta talk about the music yes we cannot go another review especially star wars without talking about the music the duel of fates is so good i'll just get it out right now i think star wars has it's hard i can't i can't pick between them right star wars is tied for me with Lord of the Rings for the best soundtrack to anything ever made. The soundtrack is so good. John Williams is a genius, of course, but Star Wars Saga, he just nails it. Every every single episode has the standout song. This one, it's Duel of the Fates when the Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are fighting Darth Maul. It's so emotional, energetic. It gets you pumped and gets you tense. You can feel what the characters are feeling. It's just great. You know, I bet that fight with Maul would have been a lot lamer without Duel of the Fates. Yeah, Duel of the Fates is great. I mean, it might be maybe the most like famous known besides the Star Wars theme itself, like score invader yeah and the imperial march and the battle of heroes from episode three i don't know duel of fates has always stuck out to me i don't know how can you forget it i mean being in the yard as a kid swinging a stick around being like (laughs) 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 it's so good like people can diss on the story and the characters as much as they want, but you cannot deny that the music is the best you're going to hear out of anything. You could watch any other movie, and it won't compare to Star Wars' soundtrack, unless it's Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is a good pick there, Dan. That one's got a pretty solid soundtrack. (laughs) I I do agree. Star Wars has a great, great soundtrack in almost every movie. So I guess as we're kind of coming to a close here, I got to ask you guys, like, how are we going to rate this? I mean, let's be honest, you know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Like, are you going to say don't buy Star Wars? Like, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) I might. (laughs) What are we going to do here? I guess just use your best judgment. I don't know. Just uh, just judge each individual movie, I guess. I don't know. Just how you would normally. All right. Well, you heard it from TV himself, the penultimate source of our rating system. He's been telling us how it's done since the beginning. Judging every film on its own singular merits. All right. Well, speaking of scales, I'll just lay it out for everybody listening. We've got burn it, pass, watch it, or buy it. And then we kind of try to even them out at the end. We each give our rating... And then kind of hopefully we can average it out. So, yep, there it is. Oh, man. Can we like put Duel of the Fates under you laying out the ratings? (laughs) (laughs) If you want to get sued by Disney. (laughs) They'll never find me. Well, I guess I'll go ahead. You know, this movie has a very special place for me. And a nostalgia thing, like it was such a huge part of my childhood. I've seen this movie so many times, I don't even know how many times. I know it's been five years since I watched it the last time. And it was kind of weird revisiting it, you know, as a more critical movie watcher. But yeah, I guess if we're going on our regular scale, it's a buy it for me just 
for the, you know, pure creativity that these movies have, you know, if you see this as a kid, it sparks so much in your imagination. At least it did for me. That's an awesome thing. It drove my childhood pretty much. So yeah, I got to give it a buy it. It is weird watching it later on in life, but I mean, I still have that appreciation for it and what it has done for me. It does do some weird things that I've, you know, picked up over the years, but still, it's it's a buy it from me. Yeah, I mean, it is weird to like think about how this movie has changed for me over the years. Like, you know, like I said at the beginning, I haven't seen this in probably 13 years, but I've seen it enough times to me. <laughs> every scene is <laughs> so familiar. But at the same time, there were new things I picked up on this time. I mean, the politics and the depth of said galactic politics just had never even occurred to me in the age range that I watched it in. But as we've noted, there are a number of flaws with this movie. But I would argue not nearly as many as the broader fan base would have you believe on internet forums. I got to give it a watch it, I think. You know, we, we noted that um, ideal quote, quote, watch order earlier, and this movie is left out of that order. And I think there's a reason for that. I wouldn't necessarily say that this is the strongest of the Star Wars series, nor would you need to own this to get the full narrative. I, I don't know what I can say that hasn't been like said already. I do think that this movie does get a bad rap, but I think there are a lot of justifiable reasons for that. I do not think there's a main character. There's not really much of an arc of this movie. Jar Jar, I find very annoying. Darth Maul's cool, but he doesn't really show up until the end. I mean, the visuals, like the, the graphics and stuff, that's pretty cool, but it doesn't hold up as well as you would hope, I think. Um, and I think the acting is pretty flat all around. I think I'm going to give it a pass. I think we summed it up pretty well earlier, where it's like, it just feels like a lot of filler that I could just live without watching. I mean, the music's good, and there's some cool parts. Pod racing's cool. Like I said, Darth Maul's cool, but I don't really think it outweighs the bad stuff in it. So I'm going to give it a pass, I think. Watching this for me again was like, it's like sitting down to play a, a video game that I loved when I was younger. I just get a kickback, relax, and have a good time because I'm already a beast at said video game. <laughs> haven't played it for a while, so I'm just <laughs> playing it to have fun. And it's the same way with this one. I'm watching it because it was a huge part of me growing up and super influential on me as a person. So there's a lot of nostalgia for it for me. I'm going to compare this to another movie that came out not too long ago uh, called Jurassic World. Jurassic World is a a terrible movie. Oh. But that being said, I love that movie. It's It's great. I could tear that movie apart if I wanted to, but guess what? I don't want to tear it apart because I'm so invested in the characters and what they're doing and what the world is and everything that I just love watching it because it's a it's a fun adventure movie. And it's the same with this one. Yes, there are lots of flaws with it, especially compared to the original three Star Wars films. All the characters are very wooden and stoic. Are you could argue that we don't need Anakin in here at all, and that Anakin in this one just hurts Anakin and the rest of the films. But the things that are good in here, at least for me, they keep me invested in the in the overall story, even if it is just filler. And part of that is because 
I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and I like seeing how everything works in the background. I like seeing how the politics work and how people live their lives day to day in Star Wars, because I guess I think it'd be cool to be a part of this universe if I could be. The action is great of course in here you've got the um the droid battle the pod racing i've always thought was really cool really fun race sequence to watch this movie was super influential in cgi the music superb the action superb i get everybody's criticisms it's just it's one of those i don't want to poke holes into because i just have a good time watching it for me this one's definitely a buy it but for a general audience, I'd say, give it give it a watch. Give it a watch. It's not as bad as what the general Star Wars fandom would have you believe. I, at least I don't think it is. So as that's two, <laughs> two of them for me. <laughs> what? Two, two ratings for me. My personal ones will buy it. But I, if you're not a huge Star Wars fan like I am, then it's probably just a watch, I'll admit. Alright, so that's what, a watch it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that just kind of throws a chink So watch it and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Do do with it as you will. Wow. <laughs> I can't I can't consciously say not to buy it because I love it so much. But I do get why people wouldn't want to buy it. So that's where the watch it's coming from. All right. So I think that's run the reel certified as a watch it. Star Wars episode one, Phantom Menace. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it it would be still. (laughs) Yeah, be sure to tune in next week for our review of episode two. Yeah, yeah, we're going to keep this thing going. Any of you listeners have anything you want to recommend to us in the meantime so that we can cover that later? Then you can hit us up on runtherealpodcast.gmail.com or run the real on Facebook or on Twitter. So hit us up. We still want to hear from you. Do you like episode one? Do you think it's worth a watch? Do you think it's as bad as everybody says it is? We want to know. Let us know. What's your favorite Star Wars movie? Did we make an incorrect claim about the lore? Ooh. Let us know. Let Fox know about the lore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to us tonight, everybody. We really appreciate it. This is Run the Real, signing off. Mm-hmm.